This podcast is brought to you by Labyrinth Marketing, an award-winning strategic marketing and capability consultancy passionate about step change in the growth of brands and agencies by setting long-term strategy and supporting empowering the people behind the brands and business to bring these plans to life through capability programs, training, coaching, mentoring, and providing extra resource. Hello and welcome to The Whole Marketer. Today's episode is a technical episode. It's advertising. And before I welcome today's amazing guest, Orlando Wood, onto the podcast, let me just tell you why it's so important. Advertising has changed significantly, both because of the digital channels that are coming into play, but also due to our increased understanding about the science around how the brain works and how it makes decision making. With our system one and system two thinking, knowing that 95% of our decision making is based on emotion. Today's guest is Orlando Wood. He's the Chief Innovation Officer of System One Group. He's an honorary fellow of the IPA and author of Lemon and Lookout. His research is a unique combination of both the neuroscience, cultural history and advertising research, which describes and explains a change in creative style that has occurred in today's technological disruptive world, one that has undermined advertising effectiveness. Importantly, Orlando's work also provides evidence and guidance to show how we might reverse this. Orlando has led the IPA's creative and effectiveness research from 2017 through to 2021, looking at the greater effectiveness associated with fluent devices, a term he coined, and the features of advertising that sustain attention and elicit an emotional response. His work has influenced thinking and practice in research, marketing and advertising, earning him recognition from the ARF, the AMA, JChat, ISBA, the MRS, ESOMAR and the IPA. Orlando, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. It's an honour to have you. Well, thank you for having me. Great to be here, Andy. So as always, we always start with a big juicy question. And today's big juicy question is, what is advertising to you? Oh, gosh, that is a big question. Well, advertising, I suppose, for me, is an opportunity to put your brand and product before the public, to put it into their long-term memory, to make your brand the obvious and instinctive choice before any other brand. And it's also an opportunity to entertain and to educate. And I think also put on something of a show to bring people to your door. I mean, that's that's how I think it works at its best. It also is something of a force for good because it creates employment, it sustains growth, it makes for better products and services, it supports the arts and sports and media, you know, but it's also kind of a cultural thing too, isn't it? You know, it kind of provides cultural reference points for us all through its idioms, its metaphor, its characters, you know, that sort of seep into the collective consciousness and, and the everyday lexicon. So, it's a big thing and an important thing and an important thing to get right, of course. And it is an important thing to get right, I think, for many marketers. The joy producing and bringing out to the market a piece of advertising, to your point, to build that long-term memory structure and to have that immediate short-term gain to make that movement for their brands and businesses. Yes. So, Orlando, I feel like I need to get just straight to it because I have watched one of your amazing YouTube videos talk around the changes that we have seen in advertising. And in fact, before I came on today's podcast, when I was explaining to my husband about what I'm talking about today, I was saying about the changes that we've seen, you know, yeah. there used to be 
a whole human in shot showing you how they were using their products and services. And now we've gone more abstract and Orlando really looks at the differences between the two. And this is to someone who's not a marketer and yes. you know, it was very much like, oh, right. So you mean like when the lady that used to do the washing up in Ferry and she was in full shot versus now it's a bit more abstract. I said, yeah, yes. exactly that. So yeah. I would love for you to kind of give us an overview for the listeners around what changes you have seen and noticed in your time. Well, absolutely. I mean, I've been looking at advertising styles, I suppose, over the last 30 years or so. And what I've shown in my work is that advertising has become more abstract. So by that, I mean, you know, really close up focus on products and bits of product, also just bits of people, you know, just hands or eyes or lips over the last 15 years or so. And We've taken to showing, having lots of words on the screen, you know, that tell us what to think and do. We don't see people doing things in lived time quite so much, you know, with a scene unfolding. Instead, we sort of atomize time into short, sharp cuts. So you get lots of quick frames, freeze frame effects and that kind of thing. And a very rhythmic soundtrack. So we don't have music as much as we used to have either. And I've also shown that, you know, characters have been disappearing. So long-running, repeatedly used, recurring characters, what I call a fluent device, which are hugely successful and help you to grow your market share and reduce price sensitivity, you know, also attract, capture attention and elicit an emotional response, put things in long-term memory. You know, those have been disappearing gradually too. They're not all gone, but, you know, they're not as common as they used to be. Same too, you could say for jingles, you know. So the styles of advertising that we see around today are very different. They're sort of high energy, I think designed for visual impact, but perhaps less good imprinting long-term memories and making brands very salient, you know, creating that mental availability that means that you're the first and most obvious choice in your category. And I think it's partly as a result of the digital world that we have moved into in the last 15, 20 years. And what do you think is driving that change, that change to be more abstract and not to use the, the emotion that came with music or soundtracks? Or Well, you know, I put forward a, a case in both my books, Lemon and Look Out, that it's to do with the way the brain works, the way the brain attends to the world. And I draw on the work of a brilliant psychologist, psychiatrist, neuroscientist, philosopher, really, called Ian McGilchrist. And what Ian has shown through his work is that the two halves of the brain, the left and the right hemisphere, the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere bring a very different type of attention to bear on the world. So the left hemisphere is very narrow and goal-orientated in the type of attention it, it brings to bear, whereas the right hemisphere is very broad and vigilant. In fact, it presents the world to us in the first place and passes anything of interest that it sees you know, at the edge of its awareness to the left hemisphere to bring that kind of narrow beam attention to bear. I give an example of how this is true in, you know, other mammals and birds even too, you know, birds, when they're pecking around on the ground looking for bits of grain or grub or worm, that's the left brain controlling the right eye that is very narrow in its focus and it's abstracting the grain from its context you know, trying to categorise it, work out whether it's okay to eat or not. All the while, the right hemisphere controlling the left eye in the bird 
is bringing kind of broad beam attention to bear and it's making sure it doesn't become someone else's lunch. And so, you know, it's the same in us, really. You know, we we have this broad beam attention that the left hemisphere brings to, to bear and then this, this narrow beam attention. And we always see the wood before we see the trees, you know. So it's a very different kind of attention. It's broad, it's, it's global. And that's the kind of attention that we need to attract as advertisers. And that means going for things that the right brain is more interested in, which is essentially the living and things that come out of the, you know, that are a bit unexpected, that emerge from the scene, if you like. And instead, you know, in this digital world that we're living in, you know, we're looking down at our phones, you know, perhaps for as much as three hours a day, maybe more on average. I think particularly in the last five years, but certainly in the last 15, we have become very narrow in our focus, looking down and in at our machines. And so this narrowing of of attention means that the left brain becomes more dominant, which can actually be seen in the advertising styles around all the things I described. You know, the left brain's not very good at, uh, it doesn't give us our sense of time, it's categorical in the way it thinks, it's it's either right or wrong, you know, words and language largely in our left hemisphere, anger lateralizes to the left hemisphere. It sees things as truth or lies. It breaks things down to smaller parts. It abstracts things. It's a very narrow beam, close-up kind of attention. And you can see that in the advertising today. And so advertising, you know, it reflects culture, but it affects culture too, of course. It seeps into culture. It is culture. And it's showing what's going on, I think, in all of our minds and the way that we pay attention to the world. So it's almost like advertising is adjusted because of that digital way in which we do look down and in. Yes, it's, we've become left brain dominant, I would say. And I think you can see that this brings out many of the antisocial aspects of the left hemisphere, which is, you know, very quick and impetuous and also likes things to be clear. There's a loss of ambiguity. It can't tell the difference between a joke and a lie. That's what the right hemisphere is for. And so you see a sort of loss of humour. You see a rigidity starting to creep into culture. And, you know, that's very, very visible in, I think, not just advertising, but, you know, other things that we watch and consume. You know, there's been a decline in the romance and the comedy, you know, the rom-com. What happens when you lose this vitality? You know, well, the the left brain tries to make up for it by, by shocking itself into feeling. And so you get an increase in the horror and the thriller, you know, at the same time think squid game you know that sort of thing becomes more prevalent and -hmm. you get this flight to fantasy and this desire to shock and mock and i think you see that in culture i think you probably see it too in some advertising and you know this has happened before you know in my books i look back at other periods in history i look back to the reformation the invention of the printing press and you know the digital world is actually quite similar in many ways to that, you know, the ability to publish in in a way that wasn't possible before. And I look back at, in the last book, I look back in particular at around 1900, 1910, you know, with the massive new, huge changes to society with all the new things that were happening, the car, the the aeroplane, photography, film, all of those things. That also brought with it changes a kind of sense of disorientation which you know lead to a kind of slightly more brittle world 
and you can see it in modernism too, you know, there's an abstraction, that flatness that I think you can see in advertising today. And is it that shock and distortion that almost we have to have now in order to cut through? Well, I think that's what people think, but there's so much of it that actually, you know, when everyone's zigging, sometimes you need to zag, John Hegarty might put it. And actually the work that captures attention, and I focus a lot on this in the latest book, is the sort of work that also elicits an emotional response and because emotion orientates our, our attention. And that means the living, it means characters, it means animals, it means people doing things in lived time, a sense of betweenness, as I put it, so people connecting with each other on screen, relating to each other, rather than this kind of me-at-you sort of stare which has emerged in advertising <laughs> you know it's showing people together rather than you know staring at the camera and it's music and it's something emerging from the scene something extraordinary or interesting i sort of characterize it as character incident and place you know if your advertising has got those three things then you're probably onto something and that what i've shown is that it's features like abstraction split screen effects this sort of atomization of time freeze frame effects words on the screen the stare or these sorts of things highly rhythmic soundtracks push people away they cause people to detach i show that it's the these right brain campaigns that are much more effective they drive broader lasting business effects profit gain share gain they connect with people better and they put the brand in long-term memory. They make your brand come before any other, you know, make it salient. And salire, the Latin to leap, the leap to mind. And they also create trust and, and esteem. You know, this is what brand building advertising does. So if, you, if you're creating brand building advertising, which is going to become more important, not less in this digital age, you need to create advertising with these that's really designed for the broad beam attention of the right hemisphere. So that means entertaining, in short, and through people and through circumstance. And that's the way I suggest we think about things. And I'm really glad you said about people and circumstance because I think when I was reading your paper, Lemon, and you were talking about the changes that we're seeing in advertising, and one in particular that stood out for me was when you said that we've lost the depth in humanity. Yes. And it really fascinated me because with what we're learning from the work that Daniel Kahneman's done with system one and system two thinking, we know that majority of decision-making is made with that emotional side of the brain. So I was thinking, well, why are we losing this when we know how important it is to build that emotional connection with our consumer? Yes, it's almost the more we learn academically about the way advertising works, the less we do it, as I think Paul Feldwick puts it. So yes, that's right. And it goes with the way that the left brain thinks, you know, it's logical, it's linear, it, it's a bit bureaucratic. It thinks in very sort of, well, right and wrong kind of ways. You know, it can't bear ambiguity. So it, everything has to be absolutely nailed down. But actually, that's not the way that you go about creating things. Creating work requires a different kind of approach. You know, it requires time and space confidence humor you know and and it, things emerge gradually you know great things emerge they don't just happen you know you have to sort of work at them you press up against them for a while and of course the digital world has sped things up it's led to a kind of global ad too and so you end up with you know something that's designed to work everywhere but works nowhere in particular yeah i see that too often so yeah 
So you've talked about the long-term brand building gain, and I think this is a pressure or a challenge that most marketers who are listening to this are thinking, yeah, I have that. I know that the advertising I'm creating needs to deliver long-term brand building memory structures. However, there's this increasing pressure for marketers to deliver a commercial return on any marketing investment, both in the short and the long term. What impact do you believe that this is having on the choices that we make around the advertising we develop? Almost that we have to do both. So how do you think that's impacting that development of advertising production? Well, I think that in your question, you talk about short and long term. And I think it's probably helpful to reframe that slightly. Do we want to create advertising with lasting effects or not? Mm. Because, you know, advertising with lasting effects that are cumulative over time that build through reach across a population are much more useful than advertising effects that are ephemeral and that don't last, you know, might bring in things, you know, over the next month or so, but not over the long term. And actually, those lasting effects can and will create those short-term effects as well. There are types of advertising, you know, brand-building advertising, that will bring people in in the short-term as well. Whereas, you know, if you're aiming for those short-term effects, you're not, it doesn't necessarily work the other way around. You know, you're not going to be creating those long-term or lasting effects. But I think there has been a focus, and Peter Field and Les Binette have shown this, towards short-term objectives and short-term objective setting. And that has come at a time when performance or activation advertising, what budgets have gone towards that kind of work. But as I was saying, you know, think about where we are now. We're in a kind of digitally disrupted post-pandemic world. Lots of brands are moving a lot of, you know, the way that they talk to customers, moving online, which means they're losing their physical availability, which means they lose their mental availability, which means that you have to create advertising there's a greater need in fact for advertising that maintains brand you know front and center in people's minds you know all of those things become more important if you're an online brand a subscription brand in a fast growth category a category that requires lots of research you need to do more brand building you know better brand building and spend more on it actually in this new world so on that point if there was this magic checklist that orlando was writing when building advertising that is going to be done more and better this magic formula for the world that we live in today looking in and down what would be those things on that list well i'd say you know if you're looking at a script or you're developing some work ask yourself when you read it and think about it can it be described in these terms so who's involved what happens and where is it set because those are the sorts of things that, you know, if you can sort of describe it in those terms, then you're probably on to something and you're going to be attracting, capturing that sort of broad beam attention and probably eliciting an emotional response. You know, it's character, incident and place. I also think it's worth thinking about if you're trying to structure or create a campaign and campaigns are sort of shrunk or, or almost disappeared, that idea of a long-running campaign, it's worth thinking about them almost in terms of a parable. So, you know, parable, the great thing about a parable is that you don't actually tell people what to think or do. They draw from it the lesson, the important lesson. 
And parables have a kind of moral of the story, you know, and the moral of the story is, you know, advertising, you know, for instance, you should have gone to Specsavers, you know. What's the moral of your story? And by the way, it should involve your brand as being the kind of solution. So I think it's worth thinking about things in those terms. I'd also say, I think a sense of humility and humour in your advertising is really important. A lot of advertising seems to me, and I think this goes with the left brain too, is very bombastic. It sounds very grandiose, lots of important sounding words, you know, that suggest that you will actually tell you that, you know, you're the best brand in the world type thing. Avoid bombast, I would say, because people see through it. And, you know, I mean, Bill Birnbach said, nobody's perfect. And nobody's going to believe you if you claim to be. And I think the more kind of humble, humorous and that we are with a sense of self-awareness, that we're only a brand, but we're not a bad brand. And, you know, probably the best brand in the world. That probably is very important. And people are more likely to believe you and connect with you if you show that sense of humility. You know, imagine, you know, you walk into a room as a brand and you start telling everyone how wonderful you are. You know, people are going to start backing away. You need to show an ability to connect through, you know, very human presence. Which I guess is interlinked with, you know, how we build relationships with others, which is vulnerability. Yeah, yes. I mean, vulnerability shows great authenticity. And to use that term, it shows, you know, an ability to connect. And you're quite right. You're quite right. A lot of great campaigns, you know, show that vulnerability. I was watching an old World Cup ad just this week, a 1998 Nike World Cup ad where the Brazilian players sort of kick the ball through an airport, you know, and then Ronaldo. It's wonderful. It goes on forever, you know, wonderful skills. And then he shoots right at the end and he misses. And, you know, it's a lovely moment because, I mean, I suspect now you'd have him score, but missing makes it funny, makes it interesting, makes it, you know, okay, you know, I get you. You know, we've all been there. I think it's showing those human struggles and setbacks, actually, which enables you to connect with people rather than showing the world as perfect all the time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm almost just looking at the notes that I'm making here around that formula of humility, humour, authenticity, really having the truth, the truth that people, as you often say, will see beyond and won't connect with you if you arrive in the room being boastful. Yes. And I see too often not enough insight into what actually drives their consumers on that emotional, deep-rooted values, attitudes, beliefs level. Because for me, that's the richness that allows you to choose that right character that reflects in your advertising and choose the right incident that is the most emotive and puts them in the place that, as you say, is the most relatable. What role do you think insight has to play in developing advertising that really resonates on that level? Well, insight's a very broad term. Isn't it, isn't it just, Orlando? It is really the role of the planners, isn't it, to come up with a new way of looking at things. I mean, I would say that what you're looking for is a kind of metaphor of some kind, a new way of looking at the same thing. A bit like, you know, when you go out on a winter's morning and there's been some snowfall, you know, the street is very familiar to you because it's where you live. But 
somehow it looks just slightly different or kind of an eeriness to it because it's it's familiar but you found the new in the familiar mm-hmm. and that's what an insight really is i think it's a it's a metaphor that gives you a new way of thinking a new way of talking a new way of kind of being with people and great campaigns you know tend to work on that kind of metaphor i think and that's i think what the closest thing i can describe to to having a big idea is probably that and one that enables you to as i said to have a kind of parable or moral of the story i think that's that's very helpful i mean reassuringly expensive you know would be another sort of example and just a, a fresh way of looking at things so actually listening to the, the genesis of the tango campaign and it was very interesting because you know the the brief that the marketeer the cmo that really captured the imagination of hhcl you know the first one was that it has a fruit hit and the second was you know the observation that you know look people teenagers basically the market for this product at the time as i understand it they really look up to and admire the funny beer advertising of the time and that's what I really want. It's a beer ad, but for Tango is my understanding of how it unfurled. So that, I think, is a really helpful direction for an agency, you know, because it tells you something of the style, the tone, the energy, the kind of how you might do it. And of course, you know, a very, very, very successful campaign followed thereafter. A really distinctive ad and also an ad that has actually created a distinctive asset for the brand in You've Been Tangoed. Yes, exactly. And also the clarity on the brief there around giving them the level of impact that they want to make. Yes, with who, but also what they already know is motivating to that target audience. Yes. It may not be an insight in the traditional sense of, you know, how this product fits into your life, but it is insightful. Yeah. And it's insightful into what those consumers value, what they believe to be important in yeah. their world. It gives a direction for creative development, you know, and takes you towards the kind of work that, that you know, people might admire or talk about. Indeed. And talking about work that people admire, I'd love to hear more about your career highs and lows, Orlando. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I think my career highs are uh, you know I, I think probably the publication of lemon was i was very i was absolutely delighted by the warm reception it got and the more recent book book out as well i suppose perhaps my first conference talk which an award for at smr that was a career high but the lows gosh that's really difficult you know we've all had difficult meetings or tense situations or times when we're kind of feeling a bit abandoned on an appalling project but you know i think you learn from all of those things in some way don't you you know and i wouldn't want to have removed them from my life because they're all helpful in a way they are never a mistake always a learning yes yes definitely that well orlando thank you so much for your time so far in today's podcast pleasure We always finish with this following question. What one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow? Well, I'm going to finish with two quotes. One is David Ogilvy. You can't bore people into buying your product. And the second is Howard Gossage, who said, people read what interests them. And sometimes it's advertising. And I think that is so important to create work that doesn't assume an inherent interest in the product or brand that instead seeks to create interest in the product or brand and well there are a few ideas in my books that might help with that wonderful thank you so much for your time pleasure
Thank you for tuning in to the Whole Marketeer podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please do click follow below for more weekly podcasts. The Whole Marketer book is now available in all good bookstores. And to find out more about how Labyrinth can support and step change the growth of your brand or agency, go to www.labyrinthmarketing.co.uk. Thank you.